that uh, some of you will be quite familiar with in this, in this passage. Uh, John chapter 3, we're going to begin at verse 14. Um, uh, and that you'll find that on page 94 of the Pew Bibles, 94 of the New Testament section of the Pew Bibles. Before we read, let's uh, bow our heads and let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you've spoken to your people through this book for generations. And we pray, O oh Lord, that we might hear you speak to us now. Soften our hearts, open our ears, open our minds. Transform us, Lord, for we pray in your Son's name. Amen. John chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And this is the one that you probably know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they've not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And from the Old Testament book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 21, reading verses 4 through 9. A strange and obscure wee story. That's, uh, the only reason we're reading it is because uh, it's in the lectionary today. And the only reason it's in the lectionary is because of John's passage that we just read. You'll see what I'm talking about just in a moment. Numbers chapter 21, beginning at verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way out to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no water, there's no food. And we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord said, poisonous serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole. And whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I love animals. I've always loved animals. Um, when, when I was a wee boy, I had a, I had a book that I got from my granddad. 
Uh, my granddad had been a missionary in, in Central Africa for most of his life. He went out when he was 21 years old and came back when he was in his, in his 60s. And this particular book that I got from my granddad was, was a guidebook from Kruger National Park. I, I would spend hours just poring over the pages of that book. On, on one side, it was a glossy book, a thick glossy book. On one side, you had all these uh, detailed uh, uh, drawings of every animal that you were likely to find in, in, in Kruger National Park, a full page. And then on the other side, you'd find all this detailed um, description of, you know, their, of their habits, of their habitat, where you were likely to find them, and so on and so forth. It was the book that stayed beside my bed. And most nights, I would read that book and look at these beautiful pictures until I was ready to fall asleep. I think I got this love of animals from, from my father. When he was a boy in Africa, he spent a lot of time in, in the bush and was able to catch a number of animals, apparently, including snakes, venomous snakes, that he kept as pets. <laughs> apparently, he got bitten a number of times, and my granny told him that was enough. Get rid of them. Not having them anymore. He got very sick a number of times, apparently. Uh, which seems a wee bit bizarre to me that he would continue to keep poisonous snakes. Anyway, that's what he did. At least that's what I've heard. Whenever we go on vacation as a family, very often one of the things that we tend to do is go to the local zoo. We've been to many zoos all over the country. Um, Turtleback Zoo. If you've not been to Turtleback Zoo recently, take a trip up there. I, it's uh, up in the Livingston area. They've, they've done a lot of work over the last few years. Absolutely beautiful now. Uh, Bronx Zoo, the Atlanta Zoo, Buffalo Zoo, San Diego Zoo. We, we've, we've done so many of them. But there's one that, that, as I was preparing for today, stands out in my memory. It's in North Carolina. It's not really a zoo. Um, it's called a Serpentarium. Now, can you think what might be in <laughs> a Serpentarium? It's in Wilmington, North Carolina. It's a snake house, and not a reptile house, literally a snake house. They only have snakes. Um, tons and tons of different types of snakes. I remember visiting there once about 15 years ago and was fascinated to see all the different types of snakes that they, that they had there from all over the world. Not just American snakes, but snakes from everywhere. Some non-venomous, some venomous. Um, we had some, they had some constrictors, they had, they had everything. Sawyer, do you, li you like snakes? Your hand was up. I love them. You love snakes. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I love snakes as well, but I'm going to tell you about one particular snake that I saw at that serpentarium. Now, there was one snake there, and it was a cobra. You know what a cobra is? It's the one that's got the neck that pops out, okay? And this particular cobra was the biggest cobra I think I had ever seen in all of my life. It must have been about eight feet long. Um, its body was thicker than, I don't have a particularly big bicep, but it was thicker <laughs> than, my, than my arm. Um, and it's, it's, the bulk of its body was wrapped around this large branch. It was a huge enclosure it was in. And as its body was wrapped around, its head just came erect like this. Just like that, Sawyer. Just like this, okay? <laughs> 
And its head was, was about the size of my fist. It was unbelievable how big the snake was. And its eyes seemed to stare right into my very soul. <laughs> and when I moved, it moved. <laughs> inch by inch, step by step, its eyes were locked in mine. I couldn't look away. And it was not going to look away. You remember the, remember the song in the Jungle Book? Like a, a Cars song? Trust in me, just in me. That's what it felt like. It was almost hypnotic, this cobra just watching me. You didn't want to turn away. You didn't know what was going to happen, even although it was behind some very, very thick glass. I love animals, but in that moment, I was very, very disconcerted. I don't have a fear of snakes, but there seemed to be a deep intelligence in that particular snake, and it sent a shiver down my spine. And it still kind of sends a shiver down my spine when I think about it. It turns out that statistically, one in five men uh, would be afraid of snakes. And almost one half of all women are afraid of snakes, statistically. It's one of the most primal fears that we have as human beings. It was the serpent that led the man and woman astray in the story at the beginning of the Bible. It said that the serpent will, will bite the heel of the offspring of the woman, but that her offspring will crush its head. That verse comes from Genesis chapter 3. It's been said to be the first prophecy of the Messiah in the Old Testament, and it may well be, but it's, if it's nothing else, it certainly uh, is a story that talks about the beginnings of the fear and the hatred that we tend to have for snakes, witness from these very, very earliest of times. So with that in mind, we come to this strange and very obscure passage in the book of Numbers. It's the last story in a cycle of five stories of the complaints of the Israelites. Five murmuring episodes, as they're often called. They murmur because they don't have enough food, so God gives them manna. They complain because they don't have water. The water they have to drink is bitter. God shows them how to make it sweet. They complain because they're fed up eating the same food over and over again. So God gives them quail. They murmur because they're thirsty. So God has Moses strike a rock and out pours this endless supply of water. Some versions of this tale, um, they talk about that particular rock that Moses strikes, following them around in the wilderness. So they always had plenty of water. And in this story... They have had enough of all the wandering. They've had enough of all the hunger and all the thirst and all the hardships that they're facing in the wilderness. So they just lash out at Moses and they lash out at God. <clears throat> and in a fit of what seems like irrational rage or just an ancient deity who's come to the end of his tether, God, uh, um, God sends into their midst this plague of poisonous serpents and everyone who is bitten ultimately dies. Now the issue for us today is not where the serpents come from. Did they come from God or did the author simply believe them? 
to have come from God. Now that's certainly something that's worth discussing, but that's not where we're going today. One of the key words in the story used to describe the serpents is the, is the Hebrew word seraph. Seraph. You might be familiar with that word from some of our favourite Christmas carols. Cherubim and seraphim. Seraphim is the plural of, of seraph in Hebrew. And it means the fiery ones. The seraphim are the fiery ones. Some translations say that there, there came fiery serpents into the camp of the Hebrews, leading to images of fire-breathing dragons burning those with their caustic breath and the heat of their bite searing into the flesh of their victims and bringing about a slow and painful death. Most modern translations veer away from the, the more fanciful images there and they understand the word seraph not to refer to the fire uh, coming from the serpents themselves but from the burning pain of the bite as the venom courses through the victims. However this picture is painted, at the heart of it lies the idea of primal fear, shown most clearly in the fear that so many have of these serpents. Primal fear. These folks are afraid. They're far from the place they've known as home, from Egypt. As harsh a home as it was, it was home. They don't know how they're going to survive from, from, for, uh, from day to day. They've no idea how they're going to get to a place where they can rest from this seemingly endless journey that they're on. And they're terrified. They've become consumed by their fear. And it's their fear itself that is destroying them. All of us have been afraid. Different times in our lives, we've experienced fear of one sort or another. There may very well have been times where we've more than just been afraid, but been paralyzed by fear. All of us have felt the gnawing death that seems to come from different types of fear. The tightness, the burning in your chest, the sweats and the panics and the silence of the night slow burning painful deaths and most of us know that often the only way to overcome our fears is to face them isn't it to confront them and to deal with them as frightening as it can be exposure therapy or habituation can go a long way to helping people to deal with their fears and anxieties and it almost seems like this is part of what's going on in this story the people have been bitten by serpents and the one thing that can give them life again is to look directly at the image of the serpent on a stick. To face the thing that's been consuming them. To face their fear directly. And so to discover life through confronting their fear. I mentioned earlier, it's interesting, that John is the only one of the gospel writers to take this story and to apply it to the death of Jesus. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Well, what's the fear that's going on here? Well, I wonder if it might not be the fear or the threat of, of crucifixion. But that was something that was always present 
in the ancient world around the time of Christ. The main highway in the many major cities was lined with crosses, sometimes empty, often occupied, bearing witness to the power of Rome and the risks that one took if one were to attempt to do anything contrary to the laws of the emperor. The call of the earliest church to those who would follow Jesus was take up your cross and follow me. Embracing the way of Christ, the way of life that leads to death, that ultimately leads to life. Take up your cross and follow me. Well, interestingly, here in John, we're not being challenged to take up a cross. We're not even being challenged to look at the cross. Perhaps the greatest fear that folks faced at that time. What John's calling us to do is to look to the one upon the cross. Friends, there are some things in life that are just too heavy for us to bear. There are some fears that, that we have that we just don't know how to face or, or how to deal with them. There are some fears and anxieties that just won't go away. They eat us up. They destroy us, and there seems to be nothing that we can do. The word from John's Gospel comes to us, look to me and live. From Moses to John to Jesus himself, look to me and live. We can face our fears and sometimes in fact, often that will carry us through. But look to him and you'll live. When we can't face our fear, there are times that we try to hide. And in those times, his word comes to us. Look to me and live. We can try to run away from our fear, but friends, it'll always end up catching up with us. In those times his word comes to us, look to me and live. We can even face our fear and, and, and begin to deal with it, but still we're all too often aware that it's gnawing away at the edges of our calm exterior. He says, look to me and live. Friends, there are fears that still gnaw at me in my life. And as individuals and as a church, I have little doubt there are fears that still gnaw away at you in your lives. That cobra still sends shivers down my spine. For us to know the freedom and the fullness of life that can be ours as individuals and as a church... Let us look to him. In him alone is freedom. In him alone is release. In him alone is life. Look to him and live. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, would you stand? No, let's not stand yet. Let's sing a hymn together. Yeah. I was going to encourage us to affirm our faith together, but let's do that in a moment.
Let's sing hymn number 100, When I Survey. 